0: Welcome to the soccer podcast where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne.
1: Hey guys, how is everything? Sebastian, how was your week? It was
0: it was great, it was interesting not having any soccer since last week. Um had you know, some, my some, probably
1: upset, you've probably been stressing her out.
0: Yep, yeah, oh absolutely. Uh you she probably she probably is asking me. Out. She has asked me 17 different times. Uh, do you have practice tonight? Are you are you, are you going to practice tonight? Um, so uh the you kids every time play? anytime the kids we have a fence in our in our living room. Anytime I walk over the fence, the kids ask me, Are you going to the fields? Are you going to the field? Are you going to the field? I feel like my kids are trying to kick me out of the house too. You're over the fence. I'm over the fence. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, the week week has been good. Uh getting ready to wrap up the new year. We we did a goalkeeper camp but we have a girls goalkeeper camp going on right now with uh our former player Maddie Nall um she's she's helping coach it and then Caroline uh Scott from our high school girls team is going to be coaching with us this week as well so we're really excited for that
1: all right and today we're going to be interviewing our division two state champion head coach from India River Steve Kilby how you got how you doing today Steve
2: well thank you how about you guys
1: doing pretty good um, nice to have you on the podcast, um, fresh off of your state champion win. So we're going to kind of dive deeper and figure out, you know, how the season went, you know, what were the bumps and the good things that went along on the way. So, um, how was it to coach during this season where we were going to play or we weren't going to play, we were going to play, we played and somehow got through it. How was that?
2: Um, to be honest with you, it was it was pretty stressful. I mean, every day before the boys could take the field, we had to take temperatures. They had to log into um, uh, an app, answer a series of questions regarding their health, contact with other people, that kind of thing. So that that's a a new ritual that you build into your warm up. You know, it's the uh, the COVID the COVID uh, protocols that you have to hit first.
1: Right. But, so if you're late to practice, already. You're going to be super late because you got to get your temperature up. And you're not going to be on the coach's good side, right?
2: Yeah. You know, you got to, you got to follow the rules. We don't want the governor chasing us down. So, <laughs> That's what funny.
0: was it? What was it like to uh, to have to coach? I mean, obviously, from our perspective at, at the club level, we're, we're used to coaching with a mask on at this point. Yeah. Uh, but what was it like for the players to have to play and even train with a mask on?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, 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 uh, initially it was very, very hard. I think, I think they grew accustomed to it at some point. And when I'm with my club team, it's the same thing The with my club team, the players don't have to wear masks, but I do. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been an adjustment for all of us, but, you know, we've really adapted well, I believe, um, to, to that issue. And, you know, never in my life would i dream that i'd have referees come warn me because a player's mask keeps coming off of his nose but you know that's a reality of the rule for high school anyways right
1: is that like a is that like a yellow card was that like one of the rule changes that if a player was um, off
2: i i didn't get a yellow card i'm not aware of anybody that did they talked about it and i think the referees we're in a, in a difficult spot because they're running up and down the field as well with the mask on, and you know you'd see them pull it down and take a quick breath. So, um, you know it's just something that we had to battle through, as did every other high school player in the state.
1: Yeah, did was IR one of the schools that did you? Were you guys allowed to have um, away fans in your our, venue, or were
2: you guys? School was one of the done. few you could bring in away fans. Um, you could bring in. Uh, two away players could bring in two visitors during the playoffs. We got to host being the highest seed, which was nice. That's never happened before under the current format for the state tournament. They were usually played on neutral sites uh, for travel and for turf, but we got to host two games and both those games, our athletic director and administration bumped that number to four for visiting fans and six for home fans, which I thought was, was great. Cause oh, yeah. Everybody wants to see their kid play. So, absolutely.
0: Yeah. We know you were definitely the topic of the conversation on a Thursday night at practice, uh, due uh, to uh, one Hannah Bird.
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's funny. I have, I have two Hannah Birds. I hope she was kind to me. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Josh Bird, who's a senior in our team, his younger sister is Hannah, and then Connor Bird. Yep. The sophomore in our team his younger sister's Hannah. So well, I coach the girls team so I constantly have to differentiate between the Hannah's.
0: Yeah. That Connor sister's on our Connor sister's on our is on our program. Um that's it. Yeah, so she's uh she wanted to, she was talking about cuz we were supposed to have a scrimmage the day of the year state final or right before it and um she was like, "Oh, I have I have to, you know, I'm the manager for it and and we're like, "No, go." Like, "Go do that." Like, that's extremely important go basically go be a high school kid and be a part of your high school program. Like arch scrimmage is not necessarily that important right now that should, you should
1: do that for sure. Yeah. Well,
2: kudos to you guys. That's awesome. Because I mean, you know, those are once in a lifetime opportunities. So.
1: Yeah. You only get those opportunities every four years. Right. Yeah. Um, so what challenges was it like, what challenges did you have throughout the season that took you all the way to the finals? Like what challenges did you guys hit as a team?
2: Um, Well, challenges as a team, uh, you know, training, (laughs) communicating during training was a real issue. Um, uh, Brant Mace, who's an assistant here, um, does an amazing job. He he helps all the time with sessions. And we would meet almost daily figuring out if I'm going to run something, he's going to run something. What's it going to look like? What do we want to work on? And we're in, we're in classrooms talking to each other with masks and constantly going, would you say, would you say pull the mask down? Then in training, you know, you're trying to yell to the right back from the other side of the field where they need to be, when they should step, those types of things. So, yeah, I mean, those types of things were definitely a challenge. I, I, I guess the other biggest issue was the buses. You can only put 23 kids on a bus. So you have a 22 man roster, you got three or four managers, you've got assistant coaches. So we're taking vans and driving up separately and, and all that kind of stuff. So that, you know, that was another huge challenge presented by COVID.
1: It's good that your district supports you too, because I know not all districts would be able to get that kind of support. Now were your kids was training a challenge for your kids. Like, are you guys in school? Or are you guys, were you guys virtual? Okay. Like how, how did that go?
2: Yeah, so we've got three situations at our school. You're either totally remote, and then you're either in um, hybrid A or hybrid B. If you're in A, you come to school Mondays and Tuesdays. If you're in B, you come Thursdays and Fridays, and everybody's at home on Wednesday. So basically, you had two-thirds of your team driving to school for practice every single day. The, the remaining third was probably in the building and only had to go down on the practice field. So um you know some of those issues cars not starting somebody's car wouldn't start somebody had to go pick them up so now two guys are late you know you know normal stuff that you have to deal with in in life but covid just throws it, I don't know, a whole nother level on top of that
1: yeah i could only imagine had half your team and so did that affect like grades At all? Did you see, like, did you have to, like, your virtual kids, did you have to, like, stay on top of them? Hey, make sure this is silent before. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, we had some fallout. I had to yank some guys aside and say, hey, you know, look where you're at. You know, a couple of weeks, you're not going to be able to do this. You need to, you know, take care of your business. And I think for any student, whether an athlete or not, in this situation, if you don't have great self-discipline, it is easy to put yourself behind a curve and, and and get yourself so deep in a hole you can't get out. And we lost a few players um, because of that.
1: Yeah. I know the season, the way it was set up this year, you know, I know the season, regular season usually ends right at the end of first marking period. Right. So if your right. team's not really good. You can kind of play and get away with having bad grades and then <coughs> once it's time yeah. for the state tournament, you could just, you know, you fall off.
2: Yep. Very true. Very true.
1: So tell us a little bit about more. Tell us a little bit more about your ten seniors on the team. How are how are they a part of your team? Were they like the core group? How are they from kind of like freshmen to seniors? How did that kind of translate?
2: Well, I'll talk about them. But to put our our whole soccer program at the high school in perspective, um, when I was coaching at Dover High and I first moved to Delaware, the way the way uh, the way. Soccer sh- was structured and still kind of is um, the only way at, at that point in time for a a public school to compete. In my mind, was if you were able to to pull all the players from your local club. And I was coaching in CDSA, and our team would split between CR and Dover. And I would just shake my head. I'm like, wow, if all those guys were in one school. You know, you could really, really make a run at something solid. Um, So when I had the opportunity to get involved with River Soccer Club, uh, that really allowed us to lay the groundwork for a high school program that could be ultra-competitive. So when you ask about our seniors, all of those guys have a strong background at River Soccer Club, Um, and that benefits us because as, as club coaches, Uh, yourselves and you're able to lay that groundwork uh, and discipline both tactically and technically with players that other places don't have that ability to do. Once you get, you know, out of Sussex County, um, there's a, there's a pretty large network of club teams that players can slide back and forth to and from and where they go to high school becomes a personal choice. Uh, with all the school choice and charter schools and that type of thing, so our our seniors have been together since they were little kids, um, and basically have gone through River Soccer Club, come to us um, with you know their strong background that we you know we just look to build on, and uh, hope to have success every year.
0: Now, you're I think both you and ever and a lot of the staff at River I think are in a unique situation where you're tied in locally to your high school and you're also at the club level. And I don't know that it's exactly the same across the entire state. And there's always seems to be that little bit of a, of a communication struggle at times between the club, club coaches and, and high school coaches. But what do you think? Cause I know I've emailed you before specifically about Hannah bird for a, for a showcase or something like that, that we did last year. Um, mostly because out of, out of, Courtesy and also respect for you, you know, ultimately, you know, on the girls side, March 1st, that's the beginning of, right. of high school soccer. So we, if we want to do anything from a club perspective, it's only fair for us to let you know and and ask for your permission and for for respect to, hey, listen, we have this opportunity to go to this place. Where do you think we could do better across the entire state with our communication between the club coaches and the high school coaches. Cause I, th- I do think that there's a bit of a struggle there and me taking over a high school program in, in a couple of months in Middletown or in Odessa.
2: Yeah. Um, are you going to be at MOT?
0: I'm going to be at Odessa high school taking over the, that program there.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Well, good for you. Um, you know, uh, I, I've straddled that line for the last, 20 years, I guess, and I think about it, between Dover High, CDSA, coaching in the ODP program, um, River Soccer Club, being their DOC. And initially, when I was a young coach, because I'm pretty old now, uh, my thoughts were, you play for me. And uh, that's the end of it. Or else would, who else would you want to play for? Very um, arrogantly said. Um, but my experience has shown that uh, it's not how life works. And if you can afford a kid an opportunity for betterment or gain, then find a way to help with that situation. Um, and really it probably comes down to individuals and what their philosophies are and how they, um, view their program or their club team or their club. I sat through um, a lecture by Mike Barr in at the Baltimore convention. Oh, I'm going to say eight years ago, roughly give or take, I don't remember exactly what year it was. And he started that his lecture, uh, basically with the mentality that I exhibited early on. And, um, you know, and I, I saw the same things he started talking about, you know, with the, the changing demographic in our state, especially in Sussex County. A lot of the kids in our program help pay the rent at their house, help buy groceries. Um, you know, we had a guy this season, went to New Jersey for five days to help his father with a contracting job, which was a big paycheck for their family. How how do you not understand and make it work, um, and that's and that's a thin line to walk on your team because not everybody's in that situation. So um, it comes down to micromanagement of those individual situations, in my opinion.
0: Well, I think it's I think it speaks highly of your program, and I think also highly of of the philosophy that River has. And we've had Brooks on the podcast before, and um, you know I think part of it, and I think this is why. Delaware union and river have had a good relationship in the past. I think is because we have similar views in that regard that. Ultimately, yes, we all want to win. There's not a single one of us that stepped onto a, onto onto a field that that said, you know, I want to lose today. We all want to win. But at the same time, I think the value in it is how do you make better, better human beings, right? Better members of society. And, Mm -hmm. and if all you look at it, is a is a result, all you're looking for is the results and that becomes very difficult like you said, you know you have a player that has to leave for a couple of days and how do you handle that situation or the 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 struggle between the club and high school and at the end of the middle of it, in the middle of it is a kid right at the end of the day it's a kid we all look at it as this like, oh my god, this player is amazing and you know he or she scores x amount of goals a game or things like that, but at the end of it they're they're kids,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, 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 I really, I really respect um, your philosophy and Mike Barr um, who I've had as one of my instructors before similar situation where he coaches in high school in Pennsylvania
1: as well. Yeah. I think it's also like about, you know, we talk about, we want to coach the kids, but it's about, you know, not about the four years that I have you in the high school sense, but what happens after the fact, like, yeah, it's almost like, Hey, I meet with this kid. It's a life lesson. We have this conversation. It's like almost like telling your boss, "Hey, I'm going to be out sick," and making them productive and accountable, and teaching them those life lessons that take them on further in life.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm going back to River for a brief moment. I, I always used to tell Rebecca Mace, our club president, "Look, it's it's quality over quantity." To hear, we're we're not going to have a, a B and a C team at this club, maybe ever. We actually do have a few B teams now, but you know, what can we do to impact those 12, 15, 18 kids, um, to make them a better player and equally a strong person, you know? Um, and you know, she references probably the, um, I guess the moral or ethically side of, of, of coaching club soccer on a regular basis. You know, what do we teach in the kids? So, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tenant that you, if you you follow it, you probably can't go wrong. Yeah.
1: Right. So here's a, here's a question I've been waiting to ask. Okay. How's the rivalry with Patrick? So I know you guys, it was unique. You guys were in the same district. You were at Sussex central for a couple of years. Yeah. Now he's over at Cape out of the district. How is that
2: rivalry? Who, who are we talking about? <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, listen, you know, uh, I, I think it's full of respect, at least on my side, it is. Um, you know, I guess when I look at it from my side, here's a kid that I coached since he was little. Um, I remember we're coming back from a, a tournament that I had coached the team and we, we I think we lost in the final and um, we're riding home in the car and we end up having an argument. And I said, you know what? Our time is up. You, you, you need to go play for somebody else. I've probably given you all I can. So we, he moved on to Kirkwood at that point. Um, you know, and then as a coach, I mean, uh, you know, as as a a club coach, there's a a whole different perspective. You show up those two or three days a week to train, You, you play your game on a Saturday or Sunday, hit that tournament, you know, every other month or whatever the case may be. Um, When, when you're ingrained in a a high school season for three and a half, four months, whatever it ends up being your commitment to that becomes so rooted in all these things we've been talking about philosophy. How do you handle this? How do you handle that? And to watch him at Sussex central, um, you know, he got them in the tournament for the first time in quite a few years, I believe. Um, and they ran up against Sally's in the first round. Um, but what a, well, you know? What a jump for them to make! Uh, and then when he went to Cape, um, I knew that meant uh, a bigger issue for us because um, the club pair, the c- club player base there is much deeper, and immediately they were organized and um, presenting a bigger challenge when we would play them. The first time that he won a game that we were involved in together, as opposite coaches. Um, I went and picked up a four pack of dogfish head 120, and put it on his front step. And the next morning he sent me a text message, tears in my eyes, you know? So, I mean, it's a healthy, it's a healthy relationship. Um, I hate to lose to him. He hates to lose to me. I, I know that for a fact, cause I hate to lose to anybody. <laughs> um, but you know, tons of respect to my son.
1: So what's the? I I know you guys have to have like what's the all time record? Who's got the more? Who's got the most wins?
2: The most attractive Kilby, this guy. <laughs> yeah. Is he's, he close? He's, he's closing the gap. Yeah, you know it, it's closing it's closing the gap. Yeah. So funny. Story. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah. Uh, I guess it was his junior year in college. He comes back and says, "Dad, I put you on the roster for our summer league team." I'm like, "What?" He's like, yeah. So he had four or five guys from Wilmington University, some old over high players. And, uh, so probably And I was, I guess the player coach of the team. So we win the league, then we win the tournament. Um, oldest guy on the team, I led the team in goals and assists. So, you know, I was like, you boys, it's a good thing. I was here to carry you through the season, you know, but they were all, they were all old enough to drink. So we had a few beers and a few laughs after after that particular game. But, um, That's probably my crowning achievement, I think, as a player and as a coach to have played with my son and won the Dover Summer Rec League Championship.
1: Where was that held?
2: Rec Park. (laughs) They used to play that in the summer. You know, there'd be a team from Dell State. There'd be a Wesley team. There'd be, uh, you know, guys from UAD or Salisbury would drive up. You know, it's pretty competitive, actually.
1: Um, So... When I look at Indian River, and this is kind of going back to my playing days at Dover High, you guys have always had success. Like, you guys – I don't know if you've ever lost more than two or three games a year, um, at least since, like, 2009. Mm -hmm. Like, what – like, how does that – like, what's the success behind that? How do you guys manage to come out with such a good record
2: every year? Um. Well, I think there's a couple of things that, that build into that. Um, we, this is going to sound silly, but, uh, for the guys that were on this championship team were ball boys on the last championship team, their brothers played on that championship team and the team before that. Um, right now we have a group of ball boys. We, I call it the ball boy Academy. Um, that are, uh, they're so hyped to come to games and watch. And, uh, and usually we'll bring in a, a club team for home games to help ball boy and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, we, we, we try to let the kids know if, if you want to play good soccer, if you want to play successfully, if you want to learn, give us, you know, we're here. So, uh, you know, I mean, and we play in the Henle open South, maybe not the strongest division around, but look, you know, we've beaten Sally's once. We've, you know, we have success with D1 teams up north. And we try to find those games. We've beaten, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Cape Charles Collegiate School. We go, you know, we've, we've traveled and done some of the out-of-state things uh, year before last, and we didn't get to play the game this year. Uh, who was it from D.C.? St. George's Prep. We beat them here 3 one Last year, we're scheduled to go back over this year, but we couldn't travel.
1: Would you say, because before it used to be 16 teams,
2: mm-hmm. one
1: tournament, right? Would you say yeah. that split helps a smaller school like you guys out? Or would you say you could still compete? you still think you guys could compete with the Sallies and the Appos?
2: Uh, well, you know, from on a given year, we we can. we we'll all, we I would like to think we can always play with them that doesn't mean we would always beat them. Um, you know, I mean, we've, and when it was an open tournament, we, we beat Apo in the open tournament, uh, Middletown, uh, you know, we, we played big schools and had, had success. Um, the fact that the, the, the tournament split, uh, I was on that committee and I think personally it's, uh, it, it, it's a good thing. You get more teams playing a tournament soccer. You get more kids involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely benefits a, a, a school with a smaller population.
1: Do you, do you see yourself, do you see like the Delaware saying, all right, we have D D2 champion or D1 champion. Do you see us see them playing another kind of championship game against each other?
2: Well, that was proposed to play like the governor's cup. And I, you know, I could I I could see that happening, um, but I don't remember the exact reason it, it didn't. Um I don't know if it was something to do with the timing of when the uh fall season ends and the winter season begins for sports. Uh, I think that was a factor if I remember right. Cool.
1: And uh last question. Um how did Hannah Bird do as a manager overall?
2: Overall, she really needs to work on her dot dropping. Uh, her lines are not necessarily straight. And um, I try, you know, you try, you try to help these kids. Um, and sometimes a square is not really a square or a rectangle is not a rectangle, you know. But, you know, you, you, you do you the best you can with these, these kids, you know. It's always a struggle for them.
0: <laughs> we will make sure that she works on that uh for a while like, we got another three months with her so we'll we'll make yeah. sure she's ready to go by you time.
1: first she'll be ready she'll be yeah, ready
2: listen, good good she can take a mean temperature though
1: oh i'm sure yeah uh that's probably the person i have taken my temperatures because i don't want to be on her bad side i yeah. don't no 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 yeah no
2: really. listen she i've seen her set some girls on their heinies uh you know if she gets um let's use the word irritated
0: yeah um,
2: you know that might shine through a little bit great heart
0: yeah. oh yeah. yeah it's one of those players that that at times and and, Duane and I have been on the sideline together at the same time where we've both kind of like kind of like flinch back a little bit right before a tackle but at the same time uh that's a kid that I want on my on my field any absolutely. given point absolutely anytime absolutely. practice Game doesn't matter, one or on the field.
2: Yeah, agreed, hundred well, percent.
0: Steve, thanks so much uh, for coming on today. We really appreciate it, and congratulations again to to you and the boys.
2: Well, thank you. It's an honor for you guys to reach out to uh, to myself. I appreciate it, and recognizing you know our our school and our soccer program and some of their accomplishments. Appreciate it.
0: So we talk about last week, we talked about me being from Coral Springs, Florida, and, and to a certain extent, that being a, a hotbed for referees. Um, but South Florida is also, to me, a, an interesting place because it's created some really, really fantastic coaches that have gone to do some amazing things. One of them, who I, who I grew up with, uh, have played pickup soccer with, have run into at a convention in, in, uh, this year. Um is Daniel Gutierrez. I know him as Guti. Yeah. Uh that's that's how that's how I grew up knowing him. Uh so he is at the New York Red Bulls Academy and he's the U 12 Boys head coach. Daniel, how are you? Good, man.
3: Doing really good. You know, just as we, we spoke about before we started, you know, happy to be at the field. We we got a little bit of a of a storm, but other than that, you know, we've we've had a really good season, so it's been good.
0: So how has it been being at the at the Red Bulls. You had been at the Red Bulls previously, right? As part yeah. of your coaching education.
3: Yeah. So when I first started coaching, of course, I was working in, in South Florida doing anything I could do to learn and to grow. Um, and then I, I saw an opportunity to to join the Red Bulls training programs, which is more of a beginner level of players. But again, I, I jumped right in it because I wanted to submerge myself into coaching and I came here. I only I was only here for about a year. Um, but again I learned a ton. I was given an opportunity to go back uh, home and, and work in the development academy program, but I was here in the in the beginning stages of my coaching career, and
0: I got the opportunity to come back now in the academy, so it's been good. So, how is it to uh, how is it to work for an MLS academy, you know, full time as a coach? How how's yeah, that? How's a, that going?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a dream. I, I think I think coaching in general. You know, I've been coaching. You know, sounds full time pretty much since I was nineteen, and coaching in general, I, I believe. Is the most rewarding career you could have, just because at any level that you coach, you're you're developing people and you're you're seeing the growth of the players. So it's it's always enjoyable no matter the level. But of course, when you're in an MLS academy, everything is geared towards player development and maximizing the development of the individual player within the team. And then working at the Rebels is a little bit different than other places, just because how integrated we are here. Um, My first week of work. I came in and they were showing us around the facility and I thought they were going to just have us watch the first team training, but they brought us into a video session and Chris Armas introduced us to the whole team. It was myself, and another new coach. And then at the end of the meeting, I thought we were going to just go out and watch training from the side. And Chris, which was a head coach at the time and his staff told us everything that we were going to work on, brought us onto the field. We pretty much were his assistants. And, um, and from there, he hasn't stopped, you know, before the pandemic, every time we went to training, uh, they would throw you in and you're part of everything that they're doing. So working in the MLS Academy is great, especially at a place like this where you're not just a U-12 coach. You're in the meetings with every single academy coach and even with the the second and first team.
0: That's awesome. And and I've sat in um I've sat in some coaching courses uh with with some different different staff before and and one of the staff members that I had before was was a Philadelphia Union Academy coach and he talked about uh, how playing the Red Bulls was always a different kind of experience. It was always a different kind of preparedness, mostly because of style of play that they had. Yeah. So so what is the what is the Red Bull style of play, and why is it important in general for, for clubs to have a defined style of play, do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I, I think the easiest way to explain the Red Bull style of play is we just want to dominate every single part of the ball. And I think that word dominate is, is big. Um, when we have the ball, we, we want to make sure that we have really good purposeful possession. It's not about keeping the ball, you know, in our back third or in the middle third, but it's about taking care of it unless we're looking an opportunity to go to goal and to break lines. And then when we don't have it, it's, it's an even bigger mentality of a really methodical but very aggressive pressing approach. What we do, especially with the academy, is we explain to them how we want to be very good at, at winning the ball, but even better at being able to keep it with purpose. But the idea of pressing, counter-pressing, the, the, the time that we want to recover the ball and the time that we want to score, those are key parts of, of the Red Bull way. And, and, and it is and it is hard to play the Red Bulls because at any age group, you know when you get, it, it's going to be such a battle. But then the other part of it is if you're able to really keep the ball and dominate the ball from a psychological standpoint, you're in trouble, right? I don't have it, how am I going to get it? Because they're not really giving it to us. And when I finally win it, they're all over us and they're pressing everything from every angle trying to win it back, you know. So I would say that's probably, that's probably a way to, to explain the Robo philosophy. A funny story with, with that, one of the things, we jokingly, but it's a truth, we tell our younger kids is the only time we don't want to have the ball is when we have uh, scored and the other team has a kickoff. That's the only time we don't want to have the ball. And, and it's, again, it's a little bit of a joke, but it's really a mentality. And then as soon as the, the whistle blows for the start of that kickoff, we, we talk about hunting the ball and we have to go and repeat the same cycle. Win it back within uh, six, eight seconds, and then score as quickly as possible. You know? And yep. then the second part with the, um, with the, the mentality and the, the style of play and why it's so important, I just think it's you think of it as a person. You know, you, When you start building an identity of who you are as a person, everything becomes a lot more clear, you know, in the way you, you live your life. And I think the same way as style of play, you know, every day you show up to the field, forget the tactical stuff and those things, the techniques and the positioning. Again, that that is important in any style of play. But from a mentality standpoint, every single player understands what they need to do at all times. It, it is so important, you know, and it's not just when they get to the pro level or the 17 level. You know the U twelve are are trying and and are talking the same language as our first team. I think that that's vital.
0: Well, I think that's I think you're right, and and it's interesting. So I got I got the chance to watch uh, the Red Bulls against NYCFC hmm. at the Red Bull Stadium uh, in last summer. So not not this year, twenty nineteen summer, twenty nineteen. And it was it was, and and I had watched uh, obviously Red Bull games on TV and things like that but watching it in person was almost a different experience altogether. In general, the stadium is yeah. awesome. Uh, I got to do a coaching course there and, and watching a game. There is a, is a really cool experience. But at the same time, I think that that we talk about the whole idea of the mentality of, if we don't have the ball, we're going to go get it back. I I don't know that the TV, the TV broadcast does it justice. Like I think in person, you truly you truly see that it's um and I was, I was standing right behind and we were sitting right behind the goal. Um, so it was like, from a tactical standpoint, that's fantastic. Like, that's what you want. Uh, so my buddy and I, who's a soccer coach, uh, we were, we were literally like, just like looking at things and, and almost playing a tactical game in our head while we're watching the game, which I thought was pretty cool. But, um, and it's interesting that you talked about the the style of play. So how important is that from a development standpoint? So, for example, for you, for the U-12s, to speak the same language um, because ultimately their goal, all, every single one of those kids' goal is to be on that stadium, on that field, against NYCFC, against anybody, right? Of course. So how important is it that um, across the board, your coaching staff and your organization is on the same page, do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's a big one. And, and frankly, again, you see it here at the Red Bulls, but there's a lot of youth clubs that, that have the same idea. You know, I think when you get to the Red Bull organization, it's such a global aspect of it where they're doing the same thing and very similar in Salzburg. They're doing similar, very similar, not the same thing in Leipzig, same thing in, in Rebel Brazil. So when, when you look at that, it helps you as a coach before you get to the development standpoint, understand the type of players that you're looking for. And then when you, when you come in, then you're thinking about training. You're thinking about the scenarios you want to create. You're thinking about the situations that you want to put the players under in small sided games. And everything is connected to the style of play, right? So when I first came in, one of the the, the things that was said to me, which is I, it's always going to stick with me, is it's such a risk, such a risk, uh, risky style of play when you play a Red Bull way, because if you're doing things right, you could be up 5 0 halftime. But if you're trying to do things right and it doesn't work out, you could be down 5-0 at halftime. And when you take that into account and then you break it down into all the details that you need to create in training, you have to make sure that you're putting players in those situations. You know, so you, you look at our, our center backs, for example, and the guys that were working as center backs, they have to be in a lot of 1-1 v situations and counterattacks where sometimes you look at other, other clubs and you say, no, that's too risky. We don't want to do that with these players. But our U12s have to be in those situations because if they're not, when they get as as they get older, they're not going to be able to apply the style of play uh, in a, in an older setting. And then again, from from the um, from the mentality standpoint, the players know we're gonna take risk, but we have to be brave in all situations. And then the last thing is the language, and and to be honest, I think that's the biggest one. You know, we we all have a soccer language and no one's making up the game anymore. I mean, the game's already been uh, uh, evolutionized and then we've gone back and gone forward. But I think the language is a key part of it because if we're able to find keywords that explain a situation, it is a lot easier to teach players, right? So for example, and you if you hear uh, certain podcasts and certain videos from other Rebel coaches, you hear it, but we have certain words. For example, there's a word called upkeep, right? When I first came here and you talk to players, they don't know what upkeep means. But just a single word has a lot of uh, pictures and visuals for a player in the game, which is to get connected on the weaker side, to be able to shift and and create a bit of a net in a tighter area of the field when we're pressing. So little things like that, and, and again, we have a ton of those, create a bit of a visual when instead of coaching and giving a whole sentence, you say one word and that already creates a scenario for the player in
0: their mind. That's huge. Um, that's extremely important. Uh, it's so you know now that you're now you're 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 at the Red Bulls, but you know before you you were in Atlanta, and before that you were you were at Boca United, yep. um, which is a fantastic club. Um, you know the the work that they've done is is fantastic. Obviously, I've I've refed there for many years uh, yeah, before. Yeah. And, and and your the father first,
3: too, right? Your father? Yeah,
0: my dad too. Yeah. yeah. And now my dad's my assistant coach. Yeah, my my oh, dad's
3: with you here. Oh, oh yeah, my I'm dad lives go. in Delaware
0: now, and he's uh yeah he's 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 coaching with me. Uh, that's
3: great, that's great. So to
0: hear. so now I get to share my dad with with Dwayne. So Dwayne gets to hang out with my dad quite a bit now too.
1: So um, <laughs> the guy is a character on the sideline. Yeah, you would think that a referee <laughs> would be composed on the sideline when he's not being a referee. But Sebastian's dad. We were we were down in Virginia, complete opposite. Like ref made a bad call.
3: <laughs> no way.
1: He's over there like, nah, man. Like, this isn't what it, this isn't soccer. This isn't what you're supposed to like. He is passionate.
3: That's so funny. Well, I think it's two parts. One is is a South American, you know, blood and, and passion. And the other one is you would think that, and that makes sense. But then because he reps, he's judging reps in a different light, too. Oh, right? yeah. That makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. So you know, what is it like to uh and I bring up Boca United because Boca United is a is a big club in South Florida but at the same time it's also a town club, you know. There's yeah, it's a very also,
3: small club. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a big connection. So what is it like? What's the transition between working at a town club to now working at the MLS? What well, how has that transition been like for you as a coach?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think When you're talking about United, again, it's a small club, but when you look at the the way they run things and the way they try to run things, the person that leads it, Eric Eichmann, is an extremely respected person in the country. So even though they're small, because the person that runs it has such a clear vision of what they want, um, it's not a big change from going every day and just trying to do your best. You know, the, 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 the politics of where you get involved in what you do. I was really lucky to learn that at a very young age, where sometimes you go to other clubs and it's such a big part of what they do is the politics game and in Boca united even though they're very small um eric always believed that if you create an environment where everything you get you earned um the players are going to become better as people and it's going to be easier to coach you know so i think the transition wasn't as hard from that standpoint what i would say is a little bit harder even going into ufa united football academy in atlanta which is a, a lot bigger club has a lot more resources is that is that your resources are fairly limited, so um, if you're a young coach, is a, a phenomenal learning opportunity because you have to find every single way to maximize the development of the players, you know. And but from a competitive standpoint, you know that every weekend is going to be the hardest game of your life, you know, and that doesn't stop. The following weekend is the same thing, you know. So I think that's the biggest challenge. But from from the way the club is run, and again, Eric's one of my mentors, and the way that he has run things there for a long time. Um, to have such a small club compete in some of the again, some of the biggest tournaments in the country. It's so a credit to him. And then in, in UFA, again, it's it's a little bit of the same. It's run by w- really good people. Uh in a different scale though. It's a it's a huge club with a with a clear identity as well. You know? So I again I was lucky to work with you would say town clubs, but these are very high level, uh, highly organized town clubs.
0: Well I think you know it's interesting now that you know when when and you don't ever realize that you're picking up lessons at times until afterwards where you actually get to implement it. And you're like, Oh, I remember that because of something that happened. And, and we talked about when Marcos was on last week, we talked about uh, the fact that uh, a lot of the, a lot of the values that I picked up as a referee all started, all came from Coral Springfield soccer and, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And, and some of the things that I now do as a, as a director of a club um, do stem from me being a referee, at boca united you know what eric has done from the standpoint of just the respect that the the players had right so this idea this mentality and and i talk about it all the time and i I really saw it firsthand when i was a coach in tennessee but this mentality of i should know every player's name in our club Hmm. really stemmed from that eric eric had that eric knew every kid in the club um every kid the values of i remember uh And they used to surprise me as a referee, but back in the day, they used to give the player cards to every single player, and it was their responsibility to bring their own player card to the game.
3: Yeah, I love that you remember that. That's such a good example of it. Such a good example.
0: Because I mean, if you didn't play and bring your player card, you couldn't play, right? It's like if you show up without your cleats, you can't play, right? Like, it's going to be difficult, and mom and dad can't go out and buy you another pair of cleats. You know that this whole idea that like we live in that society, and and there's a little bit of and that to a certain extent maybe the south american side of me coming out you know yeah. the whole idea that like you don't just get to yeah,
3: you gotta earn it yeah,
1: yeah you gotta, so, gotta earn it. you
0: don't get to just drive to dick sporting goods and pick up another ball or whatever just because you lost one or you kicked yours in your wood or your dog ate it
1: so that's a I, I have a like i guess a question like so that happened to me probably like two years ago a kid came to practice i forgot my cleats hmm. and this kid isn't 11 it's not 10 it's like 13 14 get ready to go to high school right what do you, like, Daniel, what, like, I know you're at the Rebel of I know there's, a, like, you're at a higher level. There's yeah. a certain level of respect and accountability you guys have. Like, but what age do you expect those kids to say, hey, let me make sure I have my cleats before the game?
3: Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And and what I, what I would have said if I didn't work with Eric, I would have said, yeah, when they're older, you know, maybe at 13, maybe for sure 14 but because I worked with Eric at a very young age, I learned that. And and the story that Sebastian brings up is it's a really small thing, but it's it's a really good example of the way Eric wanted to run things, which is we used to have, we started at U eight. So these were seven year old boys and girls. They went up from there to U 18 at the time. And you know, you go to the game, you have the player passes. The coach has a player pass. They show it to referee and then the referee checks it and then you play. But in Boca, the player passes were given to the player, right? So the player had to take care of that player pass. So because of that lesson, and trust me, I've been in many times where one of the players that you really want to in that game did not bring his player pass. And sorry, buddy, you just can't play, but guess what? The kid's eight years old, but at the end of the day, they learned that lesson. And I don't think I ever had a situation where a player didn't bring his player pass and then they didn't bring it the second time at any point. It, it only happened once. So I would say from that standpoint, um, if if we're able to create accountability uh, and responsibility at early age, the earlier we could do it, the better, you know? And they have there they could be situations that are external where, you know, sometimes the, the players are at a certain parent's house and um, they they, w- they weren't able to get to another parent's house with a cleats I think it goes a little bit deeper there. But in, in my mind, if we're able to create that accountability at a younger age, they're going to learn because sometimes we, we think that 10 year olds are too young, but when you have a conversation with a 10 year old, they're pretty intelligent. You know, they're able to understand certain things.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We had a, we had a player in our club um, who I'm going to be coaching in high school in a couple months who um, showed up to practice one day and was wearing uh basketball shoes. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, well, what's, what's going on there? she's like, oh, I just came from volleyball practice. So I just, I forgot my cleats. I said, okay, all right. Well, you know, that can't happen again, right? Like you need to show up prepared. Like clearly you had, you were prepared enough for your volleyball practice.
3: Yeah.
0: This is, it needs to be important too. a couple of weeks ago. I turned around. I, I was watching her team train and boom, again, we're in the same high tops. So I, I go up to him. Like that's, that's number two. Yeah. What happened now? Oh, well, I had everything else. I had my backpack. I just forgot to grab my cleats. So I looked at her and she said, it won't happen again. I said, it's not going to. I said, the next time you do this, you're mm-hmm. not training. Yeah. Like Yeah. You can drive all the way here and I'm not letting you train. Yeah, Because it's not, we've now had the conversation. You've now admitted to the fact that you had everything else and then you forgot this last little thing. At a certain point, the, the cycle ends, right? And I think, because for me, and I think the 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 different circumstances, I think that's part of knowing the players, right? So knowing a player's name in your entire club also gets you to know the player and gets you to know the background, the history and things like that. And I think part of it is ourselves as a coach, if we're not doing our players the the right kind of service or as developers, which is what we are at the at the youth level. If all we really care about is like, listen, can you score with your, with your high tops on like, are you, could you get, if you can score goals, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I made that mistake before once as a coach, I made a mi- I made the mistake once I was, uh, I was coaching at a school in Florida. I was coaching in a middle school and um, very early on in my career, uh, I had a player who was a starter forgot his shin guards. So a player who didn't necessarily play as much said, Oh, I can give him my shin guards to wear great. Fantastic made that mistake once never again
3: yeah
0: Anything my, my yeah. i mean my ad my ad was not very happy with me yeah. uh and i told him and, and again you, you know at a young age you look at it and you're like well but you know and, and we just talked about this before like no one steps into a game wanting to lose we're all extremely competitive people if not why would we do this uh but at the same time the development can't can't be second to the oh. result it has to be on top of the result right like you because ultimately, they're kids, right?
3: Yeah. It's and also, think, like, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Ryan,
1: it's like it's also like grooming the player. Like you know, we talk about expectations. With like you know, like at the rec level, we don't expect the kids to be there thirty minutes before the game. We expect them to show up at ten minutes, hop on the field, play, drink Starbucks in the middle of the game. <laughs> you know, like those expectations at the yeah. competitive travel level. You know, we expect you to show up forty-five minutes before the game. We expect that you show up with both your jerseys, your cleats, your shin guards and stuff like that, like there's an expectation for the level you're trying to play at. And, you know, for the parents, you know, they got to see this, we're trying to teach your kid a lesson, right? You show up 45 minutes before, you know, you take that, give you that 15 minutes to get dressed, take your flip flops off, do what you need to do. And in 30 minutes, we're starting like same thing as showing up to work. You know, if you got to go to work, you got to clock in, all this other stuff before you actually sit at your desk, you need to show up, give yourself extra time to prepare yourself. And I'm sure, Daniel, at your level, you've probably got another, you know, you guys probably have another checklist with higher expectations for your kids to show up. You know, you probably have your kids warming up before you can show up to practice, like before you can step foot on the field, your kids should probably be warming up.
3: Yeah, and I think there's a few points to that. I think the first one is, when we have those meetings the preseason meetings with parents at any at any level at any club is the ability to to explain that our most important job and frankly it doesn't even matter the level is to use the game to develop personal tools you know so um, whatever we set again if we set 10 minutes for a recreational game then it has to be 10 minutes and if a player needs to have his shin guards at any level he needs to have his shin guards you know not because it's at a certain level at another level it doesn't change that we're developing people first
0: i, I mean I think, I think it's and you know it's it's interesting because i you know the conversation with a parent at that point is like listen so if i showed up if your kid showed up to practice and i showed up five minutes after you did and uh i showed up in flip-flops uh would you want me to coach your kid
3: yeah no it's true you know, I mean, and true. I'm
0: assuming the answer would be no, because he wouldn't look professional. Well, at the same time, it's a level of respect. And I think for me to respect this, you know, goes both ways. And obviously you're not going to necessarily do that as a trying to teach a lesson of some sort or anything like that. But but I think it's I think that's extremely important.
1: So I think respect is definitely the key word there. Um, absolutely. Treat me like you want to treat someone with respect. Like, yeah, like you said, I'm not going to show up to practice flip flops. coach your kid in soccer like it just doesn't make sense so like at least have your kid dress appropriately because let one kid do it the whole team's gonna end up doing it yeah yeah Yeah. your whole team especially if you coach girls your whole team's coming to practice in costumes like it's halloween every day oh yeah
0: (laughs) yeah especially in those winter months those uh those pajama pants definitely start rolling out (laughs) uh so at what point did you do you think you decided that or you thought that coaching was going to be your your career, right? So, coaching soccer was going to be your career. At what point did, did you make that decision?
3: Yeah, and I think um, that's another one. I keep saying I'm lucky, but I really have been really lucky. I, it was very young. I mean, I was 19 years old. I had just graduated high school a year ago. And this my assistant coach for the high school team became the head coach. And at that time, I was doing some stuff for fun. In the field, training a few players again, uh, just for fun. And he asked me if I wanted to be the assistant. Uh, of course, I had no knowledge of being a coach, but um I said yes, and then I started doing it. And at the high school season, i I just came, I would say the word obsesses right? I mean, I was obsessed with the craft. I, I just love the way you get to teach the game and interact with the players. And then I started really learning all that it entailed. It wasn't just, x's and o's it wasn't just his technical part It has so much to do with the people management aspect so then from then on i i wanted to do more of it he asked you, again, gave you an opportunity to coach um in in a youth club that he worked it's called coral springs renegades at that point you know coral springs renegades i play there. like
0: oh, that, um, that green and white man
3: yeah uh and then from then on i just became this what i want to do for the rest of my career. I started taking coaching courses and, and that was pretty much it.
0: And then, all right. So this is where we dive a little deeper into you. Uh, it, this question ultimately started from Dwayne. Um, Dwayne worked at Hollister for uh, a total of 48 hours. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so what other jobs or job have you maybe had that's a little bit obviously outside of soccer? That's interesting. Uh, again, Dwayne at that point has somewhat, and we've had other people that have had def- different answers, but what other job that's a little out there have you had?
3: Yeah. So it's funny as an adult, all I've done is coach. That's all I've done. As a, as a teenager, I worked as a busboy uh, every off season. My parents made sure that I had to go and work because of course, based on my background, my parents came here as immigrants and they worked really hard. I mean, extremely hard. So they, they wanted me to to learn about that. And and thankfully I did because the lessons I learned those those summer months were, were phenomenal. But as an adult, again, all I've done is coach. I mean, when I wasn't working, I would drive over to go watch other people train and, and take notes. Uh, when, when, again, when I didn't have a game, I would go and watch other people's games. So uh, I, again, I was lucky enough to have a really good mentors that gave me opportunities, but I would say that I, I felt so much in love with coaching that I just didn't see myself doing anything else. you know.
0: Hey, listen, I think we're all in that same boat. I think the three of us, if, uh, luckily I'm able to do it doing getting into the the, in the point in his life where he's going to start doing more of it and and more that's of it full time. And I think that's, um, it's interesting because I don't think we all have the same pathway to get there. Um, I was at 19, I had a different careers mindset yeah. and, and mine, even at 24, I had a different view of what I wanted to do in my life. Um, but I think ultimately, it's, it's fun that we all end up getting there. I think that's the kind of yeah. in the fun little circles of life that you ultimately end up meeting. We now live th- three hours, two hours away from
3: yeah. each other, which is <laughs> kind of cool. That's super cool.
1: Yeah. Um, I will say, soccer, Dan, and I are in coaching for the same reasons. Yeah. Yes. We both started <laughs> coaching for the same exact reason.
3: Yeah. What is that?
1: Stay out of the bars. you need something else to do
3: everyone has their has their purpose that's so true
1: that's right i mean that's really where it started and i mean you kind of get into it and take off from there yeah so
0: um who are your three favorite soccer players
1: yeah so that's a really
3: good question i would say I, i had three players at different times of my life so We'll start with the nearest. So as, as I was older and now coaching more, uh, getting really into coaching, I would say Xavi was a guy that you because you're, you're coaching, you're thinking of the game a little bit different as a player, and you start seeing how he makes things look so easy. And there's little details of body shape. There's different details of body position, the contact on the ball that he's making. Of course, we all talk about the way he scans the field and the way he reads the game. So as an adult I would say Xavi you know, was is the guy I really liked. As a teenager, and I'm really lucky, and I think all of us are that we, we were part of this generation. It was Ronaldinho, you know, because as a teenager, I was so lucky to watch him play and to see a guy at the highest level where if you're if you're not winning, people are getting fired. And he's just having fun. He's just enjoying the game. He has a smile on his face. And he's actually winning with that as well, right? So it made you fall in love with the game even more as a teenager. And then when I was younger, just because, you know, growing up, we, we watch. I grew up in Colombia, but you watch a lot of the Copa Libertadores, you watch, you watch a lot of the Argentinian league. And uh, El Burrito Ortega, which is a player, Argentinian center midfielder, he's a player that I used to watch a lot growing up. Uh, my uncle was a little bit older than me, and he liked him a lot. And he, this guy just oozed creativity. Um, again, purpose, because he would go to goal, he would create shots on goal, assists. But it was so clean and technical. So I would say those are my three favorite players at different stages of my life: Burrito Ortega as a kid, uh, Ronaldinho as a teenager, and then Xavi as an
0: adult. That's awesome. And in having <clears throat> shared a field, and I don't know, I want to say that I I played with you because I'm uh, I I would consider my my level of play. Uh, no, we
3: played, we played,
0: but we played. Uh, we we have shared a field together before. Um, and those of you that. Uh, have never met Guti uh or Daniel. Uh I got to get 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 used to that oh, part of it.
3: Uh, everyone calls me Guti so that's not a problem.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um you know Guti was never going to be necessarily uh your 6 foot 5 uh <laughs> center center forward but talk about creativity and having fun on the ball. Uh I have not met many people that had that on the ball. Uh no, Guti okay. was Guti was one of them.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that.
0: And I think that's that's the fun of it, right? You know, we there was a stage in our lives where, you know, when we were 17, 18, 19 years old where we used to play pickup. Yeah, yeah, on Saturdays and Sundays. We used to find a park. We used to get kicked out of parks, uh, because we oh, weren't allowed right. to play in certain places, but we used to but we used to find a place to play because ultimately it was fun. It was uh it was a good time and it was it it was we would be out there for hours. Um I think that's the that's the upside and that's i think that's the hope that what i don't want this generation or the future generation to lose is that Mm -hmm. this is you know some of the people that i i that i grew up with i grew up with because of soccer you know there's the this game brings people together um the, it, it allows us to, to look at different things and look at things in different ways. And I live in Delaware now, which is the furthest possible thing you can think of from Florida um, <laughs> from all kinds of different reasons why. Uh, but I now get to share the field with, with some really cool people. Um, and, and it has to do with this game. Like, it's so true. It, and I think that's, I think that's what this does that not a whole lot of other things can do.
3: <laughs>
0: that is so true. so a 352 or a 433
3: yeah i think that's a really good question i would say i would just say both and i'll and I give a few different reasons i, I say the first ones i am more into the details of your style of play and how you're going to be able to implement that and again the more i learn about coaching the more i i, I research and i take courses and so on you learn that the style is just an avenue. To then be able to implement, uh, sorry, the system is an avenue to implement your style. And when you really look at it, you could play the rebel system in three-five-two. You could play in a four-two-three or in a four-four-two or four-four-two diamond, four-two-three-one. But the system doesn't change, right? The actions don't change. The technique and the the profile of the player doesn't change. And I think the other one is, we actually should, throughout the season, provide players opportunities to play in different systems for long-term development, right? Because if we actually want players, let's say a 15 year old, to get a chance to play at a college level, right? We cannot choose what system he'll play then. And if we're able to provide a different picture of a 3-5-2, that's three in the back, it changes the roles of the center backs, it changes the roles of the wing backs, it changes the roles of the of the center forwards. Uh, and then when you talk about a four-three-three, 3, three it, you only have one four rather than two. It changes the role of the wingers and the, and the fullbacks, the lone six. So when you take that into account, I know we want to win, and, and that's the hardest part, especially in a youth club environment, uh, in a town club environment where there's other factors that you have to fight against. But I do feel that the best way to develop players within, within your style of play, I think that shouldn't change, is to provide throughout the year different systems of play for them to learn and play.
1: I like, I like how you, I like how you describe that. Cause so I was going to ask you, I was going to say like with the academy or like, obviously it depends on your team, but are you held to a certain, like does the top guy say, Hey, Guti, like I want you to play a four, three, three. This is what I want to see. Yeah. I was going to say, do you have the flexibility to say, you know what? Hey, I'd have three strong central backs. You need to play a three in the back. I have a lot of attacking players, so this is how we kind of want to play. So you guys have that freedom?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great call. So when the players in our academy get older, we will say like the 19, uh, even maybe the 17s, they, they're they being asked to play closer to the second and first team. And the reason is, and I'm talking about in a system of play, because they're really close from one day to the next getting called to train there, right? So at the especially at the nineteen. It's, it's pretty much replicating what the USL with our, our second team does. But when we talk about 12, 13, 14, 15, and then a little bit of the 17, it's not only about the freedom to play. We do have the freedom to play. But we're actually asked, like I said, to, to provide different pictures. Um, and again, that's something that our new academic director and a few coaches have brought along, which is the idea that we should play different systems for that reason, as I said earlier for for actually from a teaching standpoint. Now again for the winning standpoint, um, it's not as important, but from a development standpoint is, is key. it's key.
0: That's really that's really good. Um all right, so you got five minutes left in the game. Your team is up one nothing. Do you go for that second goal or are you parking the bus?
3: <laughs> yeah, so that's a really good question. Well first we'll start from now. If I'm ever parking the bus, I will probably be back in uh in Florida somewhere the next day. <laughs> <laughs> You you should not you should not be doing any, anything close to that when you work for the rebels.
1: <laughs> there, there's no there's no bus parking in the Red Bull Academy.
3: No, there's and anything that says Red Bull, if you have. There's someone, no there's no parking lots. <laughs> no, there's not. It's everything. Go, press, Just win the the ball, score, win the ball again, score. That that's the mindset now in, in a really simple way. So yeah, we're not. Well, actually, funny enough, we had a meeting. Uh, one of the meetings that we have throughout the week to go over the game review. And one of the teams pressed pretty well, but there was a moment in the game where they let the, the other team build a little bit more than maybe they could have. And that was a big talking point. You know, We're the New York Red Bulls, we should not be letting people build out in these situations. We need to be more aggressive. You know, So if if most people are in those meetings, they go, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense that we allowed that. But in the Red Bulls, is, again, aggressiveness is so important. Uh, But even before then, I will say when I got to UFA, um, it it was a little bit – I started catching on more the idea of playing in the front foot, taking advantage of the players that I had and say, at the end of the day, we have to be more committed to trying to play the game the way we feel we want to play. And I've always thought of playing the game in a free-flowing, attack-minded game because even though I wasn't the best player from certain physical traits, as a player, I've always just enjoyed the freedom of playing the game. Uh, maybe playing in those pickup games and you didn't care about the score, you just played because you enjoyed it. So, as a coach, especially in UFA, I started gravitating more towards that. And I remember playing a lot of games against Alan United where I could have lost or maybe I did lose because of that. But let's go, let's get after it. Let's go and try to win the game. If we're winning 1 0, let's try to get to You know, I, I remember many games in, in, in Georgia where it was 1-1, and we traveled to North Carolina against a really good uh, club. And uh, it was 3-3, and I was thinking, no, let's go. Let's get the fourth. And uh, we ended up, ended up 3-3, but we could have ended up losing 4-3. You know, In Boca, I would say it was a little bit different, though. In Boca, because of the level of players I worked with, I was a lot more tentative. And I still wanted to go and get the goal, but uh, I would tell the players that. But I would also kind of say, okay, you hold off. Uh, the right back, wait, don't make the run, you know, and I think when I got to uFA, I started really learning the idea of it doesn't really matter. you know, a lot of the games that i I coached in in Boca six year ago, six six, seven years ago, no one remembers those games, you know, but the ability to play the game the right way, um, that's the most important and, and and it cannot be win at all cost. We want to win, but it cannot be at all costs.
0: I think that's extremely important. I think that's from two things one a the point of this podcast in general um to just share ideas but b yeah. i think that this idea that <clears throat> and it's it's not it's not a coincidence that we we bring people that are like minded or or students of the game or or people that in general enjoy this uh because the whole point is to understand that there is not necessarily one set way of doing things but having your values and having a way that you do things is important and, and things can change, right? You, you just talked about your development from Boca United
1: yeah.
0: to UFA to now at the Red Bulls. Um, but I think that's the key. Um, and as a club, we, we decided a few years ago that we were going to have a set style of play. Mm. Um, and we talk about it. We, we have a whole document of it. We, we send it to our players, our, our, our staff, our parents. Right. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Could it be the worst thing in the world? Maybe. Could it, Is it the best thing in the world? Probably not. But at the same time, it's ours, right? And we believe in it and we're going to do it. So it doesn't matter whether I'm coaching my U13 girls team or Dwayne steps in to coach my U13 girls team um, that he's never necessarily coached outside of maybe a few games or practices. It doesn't matter. The, the style of play. Actually, there's a perfect example. Dwayne, at a tournament, coached my U11 girls team. Dwayne had never really yeah. met them before. Um, they knew him because, again, the whole point of our club is for our all of our players to know all of our coaches. Delaware Union coach showed up. Players never said it, a word. They showed up. They played. I showed up with 20 or 30 minutes left in the game or 15 minutes left in the game. We were up 3-1. I said nothing.
1: They got scored on because he showed up. Actually. They did. They did. They <laughs> got <laughs> scored on because he showed up. So.
0: I. <laughs> I showed up and said nothing and at the end of the game while well, they're all looking at me and I'm like, I didn't coach your game. Coach Dwayne did. Like, listen to him. He's the one that's going to tell you. Like, I'm not going to tell you something. I wasn't here. What am I supposed to tell you? Like, the anything he's going to tell you, I'm okay with because we're all part of the same club.
1: Yeah, right? no, he's not- it's, cool. it's cool to be able to coach like like you said, I don't know any of these girls' names. Like, it's cool to be able to coach off like a text message or an email Yeah, yeah, yeah. and be able to just step in and coach those kids the right way in the same way they're used to training is being able to say, hey, we're gonna go forward, we're gonna try to play long. we're gonna go press. And all I need is a text message with some names on it that we can play.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also important from the individual player, where when players move up or, or move across certain teams, because your style of play is similar, I would even take it one step further if if your if your training blocks are similar, right, or even identical. It is very easy to have players move on. That's something that uh, I, was, I was able to start at Boca United a few years ago as a youth director where we would all work on the same training blocks. And then when players moved up or moved across certain teams, the objectives for each game were the same because that's what we worked on that week. And then the style of play, of course, was the same because that's what we played in Boca United. You know, I think the, the biggest thing I wish I would have done a little more Bulk United is delving deeper into a style of play. We had more of a surface style of play, where a lot of clubs do. Um, and then, of course, when I got to UFA, and now here, you learn about, you really think about the individual details, and then you kind of grow it from there. But I think you guys are spot on, and you're doing the right thing. It's, if everything's connected, it's so much more purposeful and a lot more enjoyable.
1: So when you talk about teams trading, you know, the same blocks, when you talk about a player that may be going to train with a different group, maybe it's an older group, maybe it's a younger group. How much does, like, how much do you look at, like, maturity, like size maturity or um, just, like, physical, natural, mental maturity? How much that, does that play a factor in a kid going, maybe you have a 14, you're going to go trade with the 15s. Like, how much does that take an effect?
3: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really good point. Uh, all of that it needs to be put into account because I've always felt, you want to provide the player the right balance of success and the right balance of challenge as much as you can, you know? So if a player is having too much success in a team from a physical standpoint, then yeah, we, we should put them in a, in a different situation at some point doesn't have to be permanent to then get a little bit closer to the other balance. In the same way, you might have a player that might not be the most physically gifted, but uh, technically and and decision-making wise He's a, a lot more advanced. So then, can you can you put him in a situation where, because he's not uh, he doesn't have the physical traits, he his thinking has to give him the opportunity to do that. So I think all those things need to taken take into account. One of the things I've been learning here uh, over the last few weeks, we have a a sporting director, uh, a head of sport that has come in, and he's he's done some really good things. And one of the things he said last week was, if the player is good enough, he's old enough. And it's such a small, simple sentence, but it drives up a big point. Sometimes we want to hold players and wait, and no, if a player, if a player is good enough, he is old enough. Let's throw him in the fire. Let's see what he could do. And actually, this past week, we had we played against an older team, which we've been doing a lot the last few weeks, and we do have players that play up. So we played, we played a player that is a 2010. We played against 2008s. Um, and we actually had, had five of them come in. And all five at one point, we just threw them in the field at the same time. And 99, five of the players were two years younger. And the game actually got better. And we have some really good players. But when those five kids got in, the game changed. And we scored three goals and we dominated the game because they were good enough. And they got pushed off the ball and someone fell down. But at the end of the day, because they're good players, they figured out a way.
0: Well, I think that's the. And you 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 said that you know finding the the balance between challenge and success, and I think that's that's the key, right? And we we deal with it. I I'm the girls director at, at our club, so um that's always a little bit harder at times on the girl side because uh, friendships come into play and, and, and other factors come into play, but at the same time, the hard part of and I think this is this goes across boys and girls alike, but the idea that a player needs to be challenged. Um, and I think that I think the difference may be from a town perspective in comparison to maybe at the MLS Academy level. So in a small town, you, you deal with the idea of challenges as being something that's scary. Mm. Um, and, and you have to to a certain extent. I think this this goes beyond. And you talked about it, right? Coaching is beyond the X's and O's, right? It's the idea of why. It's the four pillars of the game. You know, the the psychosocial part of it is extremely important. It's something that we talk about doing a lot, but I don't know that we, in general, across the board, do enough with. Um, But the idea of a challenge, right? And I've had players before where, listen, I'm going to go put you in this situation and you're going to be uncomfortable. Like, you're going to be uncomfortable. And the the first reaction is like, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. You need to go do that. Well, I, I can't do it. No. Uh, It's the whole, what you just said, right? If you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough, right? No, no, no. You are going to be put in this situation because we think you can do it. Um, And I think that's, I think that's key. And I think that's, I wish more clubs or more environment or more people would provide that kind of environment for players. Um, We tend to, at times, look at this from a wins and losses perspective and you never want to lose your best player, right? You never want to lose the kid that scores all your goals, because that's scary. That's always scary, right? But um, or you don't want to lose your goalkeeper who is uh, six foot three at twelve years old uh, and keeps you in every game. But at the same time, you know what are you doing to that? Kid?
3: Said, uh, one of the things that uh, we started doing at UFA, which is also a, a youth uh, town club, is we started creating certain objectives that we wanted the coaches to try to meet. And one of those objectives is the amount of players that they pushed up to train or to play during the year. And there was of course, different things that we wanted to hit from a a curriculum standpoint, but nothing had to do with winning. So what happened at the end of the year, which again, I'm not in that environment anymore, but if I was, I would continue. That is you started seeing coaches really get invested in, hoping at the players and working with the players to get pushed up more than, oh, I don't want to let this player go because I have a big game this week. So I think that's a good way to do it where you create an incentive for the coaches to understand, look, your objective at the end of the season is the year. How many players were you able to push up to train uh, or play with the older group or with the group above you? That's bigger than, yeah, you won a game. I will not judge you if you lost three games, but I will judge if you had no players that got pushed up, uh and the training didn't show that you know so i think i think that's the way to do it and then i think the way to play it uh, place it to the parents which we did a book a few times is if you put your mind in school will you tell your daughter or son that they cannot go to honors classes because we want to keep them with their friends you wouldn't do that in school probably right, right? you will say oh you, you get the opportunity to go to honors classes we're going to put you there so why do that in a soccer game all the time. I think the friendship part is big, but if, if the opportunity allows that we, we should provide the challenge.
0: I think you're right. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, one that I want to have again, uh, because I think, um, Great. there's definitely a lot of different topics or conversations that we can have that we didn't get to have today, um, that we can dive deeper into. Um, definitely want to, want to make sure we, we, we have you on again to see how your teams are doing. You know, when
3: yeah,
0: I th- I think, I think that'd be great. So we really appreciate uh your your time coming in and uh, wish you the best of luck this year.
3: Thank you guys. No, thanks for having me and, you know, giving me a chance to, to talk to you guys and to anyone that, that was listening about some of the things that we've been able to do. And I've been able to do in my, my coaching journey. So we'll stay in touch and, you know, hope to see you guys soon. And so that's for sure. Let, let your fathers uh, know. I said, hello. I
0: will, uh, I will. I will. I will. All right, moving on to the player of the match award. So mine kind of ties into a topic of discussion anyways, so that this helps. Mine is uh, Columbus crew, central attacking midfielder, number 10, Lucas Salarian. And man, and, and I watch this kid. I watch this player kid. Like I'm some like old man. I watch this player play in Argentina when he was starting out of Belgrano. Um, then he got transferred to Mexico and now he's at Columbus crew and what he's done so far in the year that he's been at Columbus has been awesome. Um, he's, he's got a really good free kick. He scored two goals in the MLS cup final at just a really fantastic pickup for the Columbus crew.
1: Yeah. I, I watched the final, um, didn't know who the guy was, but I know who he is now. <laughs> Oh, yeah it, it says a lot 90 minutes it says hey you know kick and play oh yeah. i don't know how old he is but 28 28 uh he'll, he'll be he's not going anywhere no he'll stay there stay, which, stay. Is,
0: which is good for him i think i think that's a good that's a good place for him to be in and at some point he'll probably go back to argentina and 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 rock it there he's he there's been talks of him he spent he, from 2016 to the 2020 he was in mexico and there was talks every year of him going to back to other clubs in argentina that they wanted to sign him so it's it how, how long that be? be are going back or he might make a jump to europe you never know
1: yeah you never know and i think that's something like we look at like a country like argentina like in their history of soccer and the players they produce it's okay to end up in mls like he knows you know, one of the best players in the world is his countryman, and he knows he's not at that level to play at Barcelona with Messi or like a Dybala. He's not all that level. He's just an MLS guy. which and, is at, guy.
0: and at the same time, in comparison to playing probably in Argentina, that's a consistent paycheck.
1: That's right. Because I, I know your boy Tevez is probably still chasing some lost wages.
0: Oh, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Who do you have for your player of the match?
1: I have a uh, Caio Jorge. So, for everybody that probably doesn't know who Caio Jorge is, look up his goal from. He plays for Santos in the Brazilian league. Um, his Copa Libertadores goal. There you go. Yeah, fastest goal in history against Grêmio. And, and it just happened to be coming upstairs to turn off my TV. And I caught the only fifteen seconds of the game and all I can say is wow, like that was an awesome fifteen second goal. So
0: Santos winning um means that they, they move on to the semi final and they'll play the winner of Boca Juniors, uh, against Racing, who they played the first leg on Wednesday and Boca lost one nothing. Not happy, but But yeah, but yeah. So so, Kaya Jorge will definitely be in the semifinals.
1: He's a young guy too. Yeah, super young. Yeah. Should be a question to any kid that's listening. Tell us what superstar, current superstar in the soccer landscape, played for Santos. Hmm. Current superstar. Keyword is superstar. I mean, I know the answer. You should know the answer.
0: Also, what what world super, superstar was known for playing at Santos? So, yeah, well, yeah, let us know. Let us know on social media, facebook.com slash Delaware Union. On Instagram.
1: The the corner, we're in the spirit of giving.
0: Yeah, at Delaware Union Soccer and Twitter at the Union Soccer. Yeah, if you let us know, we might throw a gift your way. We we got We got soccer balls. We got some scarves um we we got we got some stuff we can throw your way so let us know uh that'll be our contest for the week i like that actually
1: you gotta to, to start hosting our contest on facebook that may also it's work out the winner during the podcast maybe that's what we do and then you gotta let us know that you listen to the podcast
0: maybe that's what we'll do all we right, right we'll, we'll do that that'll be that'll be we'll do that today on facebook yeah we will definitely do that today All right, well, speaking of today, on this day in history, um, we just talked about a very young star. We're going to talk about a star that was not so young at times. Uh, So in 1956, uh, so December 18th, 1956, the first Ballon d'Or was given out. So 1956, journalists from around uh, Europe came together and said, listen, we're going to pick the best European player the best UEFA player, we're going to pick them. So December 18th, and that was ultimately, the that's what's known as the Holy Grail for individual player awards to a certain extent. Like that is the highest award you can get every single year. So in 1956, uh, so Duane, have you ever heard of the Stanley Matthews move?
1: Yeah, Matthews. Is it like pronounced Matthews, not Matthews, like the Matthews? Yes, like German, like. Yeah, except for he was British. Is it a part of the Corver series? Somewhat, yes. I have heard of that. So,
0: so the Stan, the Stanley Matthews. Uh, for for those listening at home that are like, well, I've I, you know I've I've had a coach that has taught me that move before. Well, the Stanley Matthews is the idea of you taking a touch with the inside of your foot and then shifting your weight to push it then to the outside with the outside of your foot, the same foot. It's almost like an inside. So you do like, maybe you can do two touches with the inside of your foot and then push it with the outside of that same foot.
1: Okay. The move I'm always doing like at practice. like yeah. walking around. <laughs>
0: yes. Or, or what now the new generation has called the messy move or the little messy dribble and things like that, where you take the inside little inside touches and then push it off with the outside of your foot. Well, that move came from Stanley Matthews. And Stanley Matthews in 1956 won the first Bologna Dior. So in 1956, uh, Dwayne, we're going to do some quick math. Stanley Matthews was born in 1915. How old was he in 1956? He was 41. 41 years old. A young 41. He was 41 years old and beat Di and beat Stefano for the best player of the year in 1956 at 41 years old.
1: See, you know why he won it, right? Because he's older, so he already knew the keys. <laughs> he probably drank before the games. my why he was so good. So so he was was playing
0: at Blackpool uh, that year. So in total in his career, so he retired when he was 50 years old. He played for the England national team until he was 42. So what was really interesting, and, and for those of you watching or listening, obviously at home, please go on YouTube and look up Stanley Matthews you talk about the idea the the simplicity of getting by players the things that we somewhat talk about messing now, right not necessarily the fanciness of a step over and scissors or or little things like that just like little touches on the ball to get around players. in 1956 Stanley Matthews was the standard. that's that was the top of the bar. like that's what you wanted to be. and there was a and I was listening to a quote what he said is listen, it's pretty simple. just put your body over the ball. Take small touches and from control and just get around players. That's all you got to do, right? That's all you got to do, right? Like he's making it extremely simple.
1: Um, I mean, you think about it in our in, in a game of soccer. All you have to do is kick the ball in the back of the net. That's right. That's all you That's the objective of the game. You have yeah. 90 minutes to put a ball in the back of the net. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, uh, so yeah, so then 1956, the first balloon, the was given out. So I was on this day in history.
1: You know, I'm thinking about it. Like I was like, Hey, he's part of the quarter series. You know what the beauty of what these kids have now to be able to just look stuff up. Oh yeah. With Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. Cause I guarantee you my younger self probably tried to look this guy up on the internet, but I had dial up. So I had to worry about people being <laughs> on the phone and I couldn't like just go look stuff up. I had to get permission. Yeah. Like, it's gotta be nice to be able to look stuff up.
0: Absolutely. Just do it on the field right there when somebody tells you. There you go. On your way home. All right. Fair play of the week. Uh, so my fair play of the week. I thought of something that recently. Uh, so there's been a ton of coaching education that's happened this year, partially because we're all mostly in in at home, and a lot of the convention or, or things like that have not necessarily been able to happen. So I my fair play of the week is to anybody that's done a coaching education session over these nine months. Uh, congratulations to you because you means you're trying to make players better through coaches which ultimately again you're trying to make the coaches better which ultimately makes the 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 players better but there's been a ton of them dwayne and I were part of one this uh this week and the week before so anybody that's done coaching education this year uh big congratulations to you we
1: really appreciate it I'm so sorry why like let's why like a year ago we were at a convention with all these coaches that wasn't a year ago it wasn't it was this year. It right. was this year. Like year. It ago. was this year. But isn't that crazy like to think like after everything that we've been through this year, we were at a convention with all these coaches from all over the country. And then like the world changed. Like that Absolutely. is crazy to say that we went to the convention this year. Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. knows what the next one will be, but we went to yeah. this year.
0: Exactly. All right, who's your fair play of the week?
1: I'm going to give my fair play out to the folks at the U.S. Soccer Foundation. So uh, kind of going off of Sebastian's, we were at the Players First Summit. Um, got connected with the U.S. Soccer Foundation and their Soccer for Success program. So um looking to have that um, be a part of my after school slash summer program. And um, those guys over there have been completely helpful for um, everything that they're doing on their end to kind of get this program up and started and get it implemented in the uh schools. Yeah, it's really good stuff. So if really you're in the Dover area, it's an elementary school, choice of the East Dover. They can play soccer after school.
0: Yeah, that's right. Or if you want to coach soccer, hit up Dwayne. Dwayne's so, gonna be looking for looking for some coaches.
1: And best part about it is you'll get
0: paid. That's right. There you go. Hey, we all love that. Right. Well, um next week is our final show of the year. Uh, also happens to be our six month anniversary show, which is really exciting because we made it. We're halfway through a year. Um, so it all kind of falls in nice and nice and neatly into that. So we're going to be recording that next week. We have guests like all kinds of guests coming in, uh, prepare to prepare for it to be somewhat of a long episode, somewhat like this one, uh, prepare for it to just be at times random, uh, because, we have we've we've been we've given an open invitation to any of our former any of our past guests over the last six months to come in and say hello.
1: You've seen some of our past guests.
0: Yeah. Definitely there, an interesting bunch. There's so there's been there's definitely some character. So there's been an open invitation laid out for everybody to come in next week to talk, um, to say hi, to you know, talk about the year and ultimately start looking towards 2021. But at the same time, some awards will be given out. Uh, uh, next week some awards will be given out. Uh, some fun ones, I think. Some fun awards as well, and we will also reminisce throughout throughout our 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 season. So, thanks for joining us this week, and remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.